And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if it be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's roll! Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Blind Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday. I... And Michael Bailey doing a very rare intro, as it usually is the other two. Well, I was about to call them a nasty name, but it's Christmas, so I'm uh, I, I'm full of the Christmas cheer, and I don't feel like insulting everybody, even though I'm I'm sure, given Turnabout being fair play, they would totally take the opportunity to just mock me. Yes, we are here to talk about funny books, <laughs> and I have Chris Honeywell. Hello, and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday. And Scott Gardner. Go home, Mike. You're drunk. <laughs> I've only had three He's cups a... of eggnog. <laughs> he is also home, too. <laughs> Go home. Okay. And you just hear the door close. <laughs> that just means he can get drunker. Yeah. But we are back to talk about comic books and all the stuff that's associated with. So what do we got to start off? Who's, who's, to, who's kicking us off with some comic book talk? I've got a shorty. Uh, is that what they call it nowadays <laughs> i walked right into that no um your girlfriend's kept telling me that but i was like i you don't want to know don't want to know always ends up being my nickname and i don't understand why anyway <laughs> um i have i've i've finally started the process of giving away free comics through Tutu Freaks. We had our first winner. He um, um, won a, um, oh, what was it uh, called? Uh, the Greatest Joker Stories Ever Told or something like that. Hardcover, nice hardcover sent to me by Kelly Logue out of the stacks of stuff. And what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do this is... Uh, I'm going to, every once in a while, this time the way I did it was I had a um, Photoshop for Star Trek Monthly Monday where I put a sort of visual reference in it. Because, you know, we were I think we were talking about this last time um, that, you know, we could be like, okay, what did, you know, Joe Superhero do in this comic or, or, or this or that? But people could just look it up, you know. That's the thing about contests. Or we could put every name into a hat or or whatever. That's what I've had to do with contests is yeah. basically, you know, it's open book when you put it, when you do it on the Internet. So 
but I want to I, I wanted to work on something that was just sort of like, you know, was easy to pick a winner where they actually have had to had to work with it. And this time what I did was I put I, I came up with a scenario in my mind, you know, sort of what number am I thinking of, except with that. But, you know, a clue. I put the spaceship well the the submarine from uh, Fantastic Journey, Fantastic Voyage. The one where they shrunk down the the submarine and put it inside a woman's body to or a scientist's body to inner space. Yeah, well, that's inner space too. <laughs> but no, you know, in her space. That, but I that put that in there, and I was like, okay. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I was like, okay, this basically means that the Enterprise is really inside this body, and um, uh, the uh, Jonathan Kreitz was the first person, and he came close. He said, Mr. Spock is exploring the space amoeba and the miniature submarine from Fantastic Voyage. But no, Mr. Spock is, isn't in there in my brain. So close but no cigar, Jonathan Kreitz. Aww. And then uh, Benjamin Perlman pops in and nailed it on the head, proof that the entire Star Trek universe takes place in the body of scientist Jan Benz from Fantastic Voyage. Kirk plus Raquel equals question mark. So I hadn't really thought of the Kirk hooking up with Raquel Welch, but that would have happened. But that's exactly the scenario that I was envisioning with that Photoshop. So he got that comic, and he got another mystery comic, which I will not divulge and, and ruin the mystery if he hasn't gotten it in the mail by now because I mailed it out the next day. So why am I saying all this because basically if you want to win free comics and i'm talking quality no you know maybe some 50 cent bin stuff here and there but that's only like maybe if you you want it we're talking quality stuff all you gotta do is you gotta pay attention to what's going on on facebook because you never know when one of these could pop up it could pop up in three in the morning could pop up at noon you know whenever whenever we get the idea and and whoever gets it first is going to get something free. No strings attached, no postage, no nothing. Just comics showing up at your door. And who else does that? Uh, plenty of podcasts. But we'll have better comics. And who knows what else will get stuffed into the, the box from the, the Honeywell household. So basically, get your ass over to our Two True Freaks Facebook page and join up and and win. But really, I've been working so hard, I haven't had much time to read any comics. And any, and, and any that I have read are going to really feed into a later part of the show, so I'd rather save it till then. So if one of you guys has something uh, something to say... I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Sure? What do you got, Mike? Well, yesterday, as of this recording, I attended the quarterly, I guess it would be called, Atlanta Comic Convention. The one-day show that's held at the Century Marriott. Okay, uh, now that's Clarence. some comics news, man. So, what? Now that's some comics news. Yeah. <laughs> So, Not just jerking around like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's 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 the one of the big it's the biggest one day show in the South. Uh, Scott and I have gone. We've talked about it in the past. And every time I go now, I feel like I'm missing my wingman. 
Uh, even though my buddy Garrett's there and he's usually looking out for me. And by the way, guys, he has stuff for all of us. Uh, I think he, I think you're going to really like what he's going to send you, Chris. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're going to like it. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, you know, the things that I always joke about with these shows are one, what is the temperature going to be like in the in the actual ballroom, and two, how is the smell going to be? And I've had a run of the shows that I've gone to, of the temperature being like near Ice Station Zebra, which is just perfect for you know comic hunting because it does you know you're looking through books you got like a thousand people in a small room and all that kind of stuff so it does it can get a little warm uh and and the smell's been pretty good up until um up until yesterday uh there was this dude in a jean jacket that i swear to god he must have come from like a zombie orgy or something (laughs) before before heading out to the show because this guy oh now i'm imagining it yeah thanks (sighs) I mean, just like, holy shit. I mean, seriously, I, I, you know, I I was just a little too nice because what I really should have done is turn around and go, dude, what is your problem? You know, this is really loud. We always end up playing the Confunk soap commercial for, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But seriously, I, I, next time I'm really just going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to make the entire room go quiet. And just berate somebody for stinking like that. Because basically I've now come to the conclusion that it's not only just inappropriate, it's just rude to everyone around you. Then they're going to tell you they have some genetic condition where their skin rots at an incredibly fast rate or something. And and, and that's where the words, I don't care, will come out of my mouth like I'm (laughs) Bill Murray and Scrooged. (laughs) If I have to... That you and I were at, and we were we were like crouched down on the floor going yeah. through long boxes, and I remember looking over at you, and I'm like, dude, what the f- smells like cheese? Is that the, that was the con, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. and it was it was that and it was that fat <laughs> dude. It's was, the yeah, con geez. itself smells like cheese. He did. I mean, literally, it smelled like. I mean, not like not quite like Limburger, but it was like a really it was a funky cheese. Yeah. Funky cheese. Yes. Funky cheese. Yeah. He was doing the funky cheese. <laughs> but outside of that, it was, uh, it didn't have a whole lot of money, but the, uh, the, the main guy that's there, like when you walk into the room, he's got the most real estate. His name is Earl, uh, which every time I say that now, I, you know, I, I picture mm-hmm. it like that. My name is Earl intro, but, um, he usually has like a $10 section, a $5 section, and a $2 section. And the $5 section is full of usually some really good Silver Age books in pretty decent condition. The $10 stuff is a little nicer. And the $2 stuff, well, frankly, you can find like a lot of really cool stuff. I found like an entire Roger Stern Avengers run in there yesterday. Oh, uh, wow. So, I mean, just the whole thing right there. And... This time out, he just had a $10 section and a $2 section. And in the $2 section, I snapped up the Action Comics issue 345, where Clark Kent is revealed by Alan Funt on Candid Camera. Classic cover. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. But Never. No, but... Apparently not, because you guys aren't saying anything. But I've heard of it, but I, I, yeah, I'm trying to picture if I've seen that one or not. Uh, a lot of Silver Age books in there, but the one that I was really, and it's kind of, you know, it's not in the best of condition, but it's the one chapter 
of a certain story that Scott Gardner covered on its super. Well, back when it was, I've got a few things to say about Superman where you have Superman flying towards the sun while Lori Lamaris, Lana Lang and, and Lois Lane. It's the saddest story ever told Superman's funeral. I love that book. You and Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb actually has a letter uh, that he wrote to his mother when he was in camp saying, you need to go and get this issue of Action Comics. Do not get Superman. But it was like the second or third part of that story, and he really wanted to keep up with it. So <laughs> always makes me laugh when I, when I hear that story and then remember how much you love it. If you I buy also... me Superman and not Action, I will burn down the house. <laughs> I, uh, I picked up Mr. Miracle number 18, which was the last issue of the first Mr. Miracle series, and now I am three issues away from having a complete run of that. And now, four do you issues have the Marshall Rogers issues as well? I have a bunch of those, actually. Those they were in really a 50 good. cents box. And I picked up, because I really couldn't find them anywhere else, the last two issues of the New Gods reprint series from the mid-'80s mm-hmm. that they put out. Uh, they, they did that with a bunch of different series like the dead man and uh shadow of the bat. And the reason why I wanted this is I found out that the last issue has snippets of what Jack Kirby originally wanted to do to end the new God saga. But then they put it all in the hunger, hunger dogs graphic novel. And then they kind of backpedaled on that. Right. So, so I, I, I'd been wanting them. I realized I didn't have them. And when I try to find them online, they're like 6 $7 a piece for some god-awful reason. So, But my favorite book, uh, if you're a fan of Super Dickery, you'll like this. Um, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 128. You have Jimmy, and there's a guy that looks like Jimmy Olsen's dad uh, with his arm around him. And, and, and the judge is saying, Mr. Hal Rand, I hereby grant your petition to adopt Jimmy Olsen as your legal son. I know your great wealth will provide him with a fine home. And Superman flies in and pounds his fist on the table and says, stop, your honor, I challenge the adoption. I'll prove why you must reject it. Featuring <laughs> no father for Jimmy. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, you know what? That's $2. Ah. <sighs> I might want a guest on Back to the Bins just to cover this thing. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Because that is a Back to the Bins book right we there. We were just talking about having you on. But last night we were just talking, and I can't remember if it, if it was in the actual show, you know, the, the show portion of the recording or if it was in the preamble or whatever. But we were just talking about I'm trying to remember. I'm going to have to talk to the guys and find out what it was, but it was something that we were like, oh, that'd be perfect to, to get Mike in. He would, he would, t- oh, I know what it was. We we're talking about finally getting around to doing the, uh, the oversized books, like the limited collector's edition and all those versus books and stuff. And I was like, Ooh. cause, cause Paul, those guys have been ragging me. Cause I've missed a lot of episodes over there. And then it's no fault of my own. I mean, I'm just, I, you know, I've been busy with work and stuff. And so they've been ragging me about it and they were like, Paul said something like, you know, uh, he was going to get back at me by by covering uh, uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali at some point when I, you know, when I miss a show or something. <laughs> and I was I got all pissed. I was like, no, don't do that. You know, and then so we were talking about 
you know, finally doing those oversized books. And then that's what made me think. I was like, you know, speaking of getting mad, you know, if, if we cover something, I was like, Mike would never forgive me if I covered some of those books and, and didn't talk to him first. So, yeah, that's what we were. That's what it was. We want to get you back on uh, on bins and do some of those, uh, you know, the giant size well, books. There's one of them that we can't do for reasons that will hopefully be revealed next year. Ah, this is very true. So, but uh, now I'd be down for that. But no, it was just, it was a fun show. I wasn't there all that long. Uh, the weather was kind of crappy, but to me, that's perfect. Like comic book reading, you know, buying weather for some reason. Uh, it was a fun little ride going up and down because uh, Rachel <laughs> wasn't feeling well. So I, I, I was flying solo, which is probably for the best because I feel bad because all she ends up doing is like hanging out in the lobby. And it's a rather nice lobby. Don't get me wrong. It's 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 a pretty nice hotel that they host. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's really funny because as I was walking out of the con, you know, I you know called Rachel to tell her I was on my way home. And she was like, how was the show? And I was just like, and as I was walking out and I get into like the main part, like the main lobby, I'm like, it was hot as hell and it stank like ass in there. And somebody walked by and said, preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like one of those moments. Like, and then, so, and then I hear a dude talking behind me. And I'm like, excuse me. He's like, that uh we actually complained about that they're they're trying to get the air turned on in there it's just like okay apparently i wasn't the only one having issues with the the heat and the uh the humidity and the worst part of it was right in the middle you know and i've been been trying to avoid fast food just on general principle and I'm sitting there in the middle of looking through comics and that's when the guy behind the counter and his buddies brought in all the mcdonald's because uh, it was lunchtime, apparently. And I'm like, God, that smells good. Then you get a whiff. Yep, that's exactly what I'm thinking. The bag opens up and <laughs> it's, it's like, like and oh, that geez. French fry smell hits yeah. you. And you're just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> that so, is not a stand I would buy comics from, though. You know, if their <laughs> fingers are going to be all McDonald's fry <laughs> grease and everything, I'm I'm not buying comics from them. Secret but, uh, sauce. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No. But uh, actually, it was it was an interesting show because in the last couple ones that I've been to, there were a lot more dollar boxes and like two dollar boxes. Not a whole lot of that this time, though. One of the places that normally is pretty high priced had a two dollar bin that these two people I was watching them. It was a husband and wife working together trying to get an entire run of Daredevil out of this two dollar box. And they were succeed. I mean, it was like late Frank Miller stuff. And like going oh. right into the eighties and nineties, and you, I saw them working together, and I was just so impressed. It was they both had their lists, and they're like, "Oh, I got this! Oh, I got this!" And they were just like piling it on top. And I really wanted to get to the box that they had finished with, but they had all their books on it. And usually in these shows, it's like every man for himself, unless you're with a group. Uh, like like a bunch of times, and this is this pissed me off too. This is almost worse than. Smelling. Look, if you're going to have a conversation, don't do it in the middle of traffic. Okay, pull off to the side to talk. Because Garrett and I were walking down the main thoroughfare, and these five people just stopped to have a conversation, and you really couldn't get around them. Welcome and they to were... my life, dude. You, you got to come to our park sometimes. That's exactly what goes on everywhere. People just stop, like right in the middle of, you know, like you say, right in the middle of traffic. And Hot that's what they want. I do. call them. What? I call them cock blockers. Aisle <laughs> <laughs> blockers is what they are. But usually when you're looking at a box, like when I was at Earl's station 
there was a dude next to me for like 20 minutes that had not only like the 16 piles of books that he was looking for, he had this giant book bag on the floor, like, uh, like right next to him. So you really couldn't move over. And I'm just, mm -hmm. maybe I was just in a good mood. Maybe I just didn't want to make waves. Maybe I should have said something, but the people that were looking for the daredevil books noticed that I was looking, they're like, Oh, we're really sorry. And they moved everything out of the way. And it was just like, uh, my my faith in humanity has been restored on a, on a very small basis. But um, now, other than that, usual show. Hung out with Garrett a little bit. Hung out with my buddy Rudy, who has a who has a booth in the corner all the time. And if you're looking uh, for Silver Age books or stuff with boobs, uh, Rudy's your guy. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, he he has the Betty Page stuff, like a lot of it. Oh my god. So, but that was pretty much it. Fun little show. Uh, Missed you, Scott. Now, did you say you you just saw the the Stern Avengers stuff, or you actually picked it up? No, I already own it. So, oh, okay. I, I just saw it. Uh, I am I'm, I'm really these days with my back issue buying, I am sticking to the new getting my New Gods collection complete and my Superman stuff. I'm really not branching out into anything new, uh, especially with the sheer amount of books I've been getting rid of lately. Right. So. I just, I really just want to kind of, I don't want to go crazy again and just start buying stuff. Just, ooh, it's cheap, and maybe I should pick that up. I don't uh, want to go back. But, how, is, uh, how is that purging working for you? Because I keep talking about it, and then I don't ever do it. But part of the reason I, I haven't done it is, well, a lot of it's laziness and not having the time to do it. But a lot of it, too, is that fear of, you know, finally... Finally breaking down, finally doing it, and then not getting near what I've, you know, well, I would hope that I would get out of it too, you know, and being I, I think, very disappointed. I think, I think we talked about this a little bit last time. I just have been aiming low and wanting to just get rid of it. I'm not really looking to make a whole lot of money off of it. And, you know, it, it, it's just basically like if I can get anything out of it, I'm pretty happy. And But that's just right. where I am. How does that generally work out? Do you mostly get what you pretty much expected, or do you get a few uh, sometimes yeah. that go way better than you expected and stuff? Well, I think, like I mentioned last time, the first appearances of Deadpool and Cable were insane. And then I sold like my entire run of post-brand-new-day Spider-Man stuff that I thought I wouldn't get crap for, and that turned into a feeding frenzy right at the mm -hmm. end, wow. where I got pretty much three times what I was expecting. So it's just interesting. Like like recently, I sold a bunch of books right before the show uh, to kind of get a little money for my wife and I's anniversary, and I was selling off my Punisher books. And it's really interesting that people really wanted the first twenty five issues of both Punisher and Punisher War Journal, and I had like a washer on all of them. But uh, as Crystal and, and Scott will no doubt tell you, when you only have one watcher, it's not selling. Right. If you have seven watchers, yeah, you know something. Somebody's going to buy that. And I had my original Punisher miniseries, which I picked up really cheap one year at Dragon Con up there. Is that and the I Mike Zek one? Yeah. And I, you know, I have it. I have it in the magazine format, the black and white magazine, which is actually the preferred way that I like to read it because it really brings out Mike Zek's art. And uh, you know, I have the essentials, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't need these books. And as I discovered last summer, when I tried to read my run of Punisher, man, you read like ten issues of the Punisher, you just need to stop, like for 
six years and not read any other Punisher because it gets like really repetitive really fast. I mean, every once in a while, a good story will pop up, but it's just like, and now I'm over here fighting this gang of crooks and going to this location, and uh, next issue I'll be over here fighting a similar gang of crooks in a similar location with a similar old buddy from the army that I knew and stuff. So, See, I find after reading the Ennis stuff that I can't read Punisher and, and you know, <laughs> of that old 80s stuff. Because, I mean, I realized that that stuff was really edgy and, and, yeah, uh, at, and the breaking, time. at the time. But then you read, you know, the, the Ennis stuff where, you know, it's the F word every other issue. And, you know, he's blowing people, you know, people are getting their balls cut off and he's shooting people in the face with shotguns and stuff. And you go back and read that stuff where... You know, yeah, he's killing people, but it, it's just—it's not the same. It just, you know, it's almost laughable in its, you know, in its attempt to feel edgy and gritty, and and it's, yeah, just it's not weathered, not aged well at all. But I figure the essentials will hold me over if I really want to read some Punisher. So, you know, it, it's basically—it's really weird that I'm almost purging it as like an atonement for the sin of gluttony. You know, it's just, <laughs> I, I bought way too much, so now I really have to get rid of it. So <laughs> I know that makes absolutely no sense, but it's it's how it's working. No, it's it, it it purging. Does. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So, but no, I mean, again, I'm keeping what I really like. Like, you know, I, I, I'm keeping my G.I. Joes. I'm keeping some of my other Marvel stuff. I recently dug out my Airboy collection because I want to cover that over on Views. And then I found out Airboy is getting an omnibus thanks to IDW. So if you've never read that Eclipse Airboy series, which was really good early writing by Tim Truman and Chuck Dixon, uh, I will suggest picking up the, the omnibus when it comes out in February because it's really good stuff. Uh, really off the beaten path. They were really trying to bring back those... What was the company that put out Airboy and... Was it First? The he- No, it was Eclipse did it in the 80s. Eclipse, I'm talking originally... Yeah. Oh, 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 gosh, I have... Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I, I don't know the name of the company. They had that, they had Frankenstein, they had The Heap. Yeah. And, and it was stuff that I only read about in, like, All in Color for a Dime, and... And then years later, stumbling across the Airboy stuff and, the, you know, realizing that Eclipse was trying to bring all those characters back because they were in the public domain so they could do their own version of it. And now all of that stuff is finally freed up from that monster legal nightmare that McFarlane was basically doing right. with the... Uh, with the uh, whole Miracle Man thing, the Alan Moore's Miracle Man is getting traded by Marvel. Hmm. Finally. So, and apparently Neil Gaiman's coming back to finish the story, which always goes well. <laughs> when thirty years later they go to finish. Yeah. The story. And by always you mean never ever one time. Never not once. Yeah. Yeah. No, not once. Never. Well, I... it's it's a great way to to move some books, but I don't think it's gonna be what people really will the, want out yeah. of it. So. Not with thirty years of expectations. Well, you never know. He might, you know, if it, if it does, it'll be something special, I guess. But I mean, I mean, look at episode one and the the fallout from yeah. that and the expectation. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so what do you got, Scott? I got. 
feedback. I got email. And uh, I like this one because it's going to lead directly into our next segment here. Ooh. So we have one piece of, uh, of mail this time around, but I really like this one because it comments on last episode. The title of it is Comics Monthly Monday number 57, which was last time around. And it says, hey, guys, it was nice to hear the gang back together. Not that I don't enjoy uh, when it's just Scott and Mike or other guests, but I love Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic. See, I told Yay. you it was everybody's favorite. Since I, too, loved the team-up books growing up, DC Comics Presents, Brave and the Bold, and World's Finest were my favorites. Uh, I agreed with Mike and uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Peppermint Patty drives me up a wall. Of course, <laughs> Charlie Brown could have put his foot down, but that's beside the point. It probably wouldn't have made uh, any difference to Patty anyway. Thanks for the heads up on the future release of the JSA Omnibus. Uh, it may be something I would want to get. Could you explain to me, just so I am clear, how this would fall with the All-Star Squadron? Or does it at all? Well, it's, it's years later. Yeah, it's... Uh... It doesn't really even... The only time they ever really referenced the All-Star Squadron was the Our Worlds at War special. Uh, when right. Lex Luthor brought back the name. But it really... It, it plays more of what James Robinson was doing with Starman, which was more of him like furthering the legacies of the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. So, And the All-Star Squadron, sadly has become kind of a footnote more than, you know, the, the major team that, uh, that obviously Scott and I think it is. Right. So, but, uh, you know, it's more of a, Oh, that was something that happened during world war true too, but otherwise it's JSA all the way. So yeah, it really doesn't have anything to do with it, unfortunately, but, but that's not to say it's not a bad series. It's just, I think, uh, I would have liked to have seen more, of what Robinson did with in golden age, even though that kind of, now that I think about it, kind of pisses all over the all-star squadron in a very respectful way. If that makes any sense, like he darkens these characters up, but there's still a reverence for the original source material. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of, if anything, it serves as a, as a kind of a capper to the series. You know, it's kind of the ending to a series that never really ended. Mm hmm. Because All Star Squadron, at least to my recollection, just kind of just kind of fizzles out there at the end, and a lot of that is because uh, you know Crisis just gutted it. You know, it it took away Earth Two, and and it fundamentally changed everything that Roy Thomas was trying to do on that title. Um, I, I'm wondering if what he's asking is, you know, do you necessarily need one to follow the other? You really don't. I mean, I would always give All-Star Squadron a, a high recommendation to read, but you don't need to have read it or be familiar with the material in it to get into to JSA at all. Although, I guess arguably, I, I would highly suggest reading um, Robinson's Starman and then let that lead you directly into JSA. But again, you don't necessarily need to. It, it's just, I, I think it would be a good way to do it. You know, if you're not all that familiar with the material, but yeah, I, I would highly recommend uh, the JSA series. I, I thought it was great, um, pretty much from start to finish. You know, it had a couple of rough spots here and there, and it again, that was another book that 
um, kind of fizzled out at the end, but that was only because they were, you know, setting up the next series, which was um, Justice Society of America, which, you know, kind of continued on. But I enjoyed that a lot. I thought that was a really yeah. solid book. And on and on and on. <laughs> Man, that Magog story just... Yeah, that's where I bailed, actually. Magog. Yeah, it was good up until that, and then that that's where I ended up bailing out. And Well, that's also where they split the book. And when they split the book, I lost interest because then it just had too many characters. They were, they were. I, I think they were trying to spin it into a new franchise, and I just wasn't interested in that. It was like, can we just enjoy this as the book it is? Does it, does it need to be, you know, do you really need another franchise type of thing? It started to feel like they were trying to live, relive the, you know, the '90s glory days of when the JLA you know, had umpteen different series and minis and one shots and all that junk. And that, that's what kind of killed that series for me too, was, you know, just all the imitation and, you know, it waters it down when you've got something that's really cool, but then they just want to keep milking it for all it's worth. It just, I don't know, kind of, kind of destroys it. Well, I they were trying that... to turn everything into a little franchise as they, you know, they had the yeah. Green Lantern yeah. End of the DCU. Batman was getting more and more books. They were, you know, you know, all the super, you know, they eventually right there before the new Fifty Two brought Superboy, a Superboy series back, and they had Supergirl and the Steel one shot, and you mm-hmm. know the two main Superman books. So it was a, you know, it was, it was a weird time where they were just putting so much out there. I mean, I think before the new Fifty Two started, they had like eighty seven books a month. Wow. That's nuts. Well, the email here continues uh, a follow-up after his comment about, the, or his question about All-Star Squadron and JSC. He says, I'm not too familiar with comics past Crisis on Infinite Earths. From Crisis to Crisis uh, helps me with Superman, but I'm lost with most other comics of this era. I'm a Silver Age slash, slash Bronze Age boy. Uh, you didn't ask for one. But I might have a freaky five for you. Since you guys were talking about what? superhero what? death, and I thought, what superhero death freaked you out the most? Either didn't see it coming or made you mad just because it happened. And he says, hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I like this idea. He says, better wrap up for now. Keep up the great work, and thank you for keeping me entertained at work. And this is from... Russell Bragg in Clarksburg, West Virginia. Thank you, Russell. I like this email, and I really liked your suggestion for the Freaky Five, so we are actually going to run with this one for this month. So our Freaky Five is... I actually am going to change it up just a little bit, because his was specifically what superhero death. I would just say what comic book character death. What comic book character death freaked you out the most, either... You didn't it freaked you out because you didn't see it coming, or it freaked you out because it pissed you off. So, who wants to go first for our freaky five? I'll go first because I pretty much got the once again the least amount to say. This was <laughs> the hardest one for me. Thank God we changed it to comic book death rather than superhero death. Okay, because. I just don't – we have that whole section about, you know, picking on how I haven't read enough superhero comics. So it's like, you know, I read like The Death of Captain Marvel, but that in no way caught me by surprise. It was uh, <laughs> plugged for, you know, months in advance. 
but I was able to I was able to find five characters that that fell into that description for me. Um, I'll say two of the five are are kind of gimmies and are the only ones that are kind of superhero comics too. So I'm gonna start at five and go backwards. Number five is um, uh, this really disappointed me with this when this comic character died because, well, one I I had multiple com copies of his number one comic book and uh i just i just didn't see it coming and that's pope john paul <laughs> i honestly thought you were gonna say fritz the cat <laughs> <laughs> okay number four was um when uh phoenix died because i sort of got that like I started reading those like five issues before that happened and was just really starting to dig her character and then dead. And uh, of course I was a big Daredevil fan, so Elektra, that sort of pissed me off for the same reason. She was uh, like one of the strongest characters in the whole thing and the most interesting character, probably the most interesting character in that run. So I was kind of pissed off that they killed her off supposedly there's been follow-ups or whatever, right. but you can't, yeah, you just can't count ones that came back from the dead. Uh, number two is from The Walking Dead, and uh, which has God, you know, pick from however many deaths that were, you know. But um, the one that really got me hard and I didn't really see it coming was Tyrese. Oh, thank mm. God. And yeah, exactly, exactly. I remember reading that comic and like actually having to put it down, going, "Oh my God, that was harsh." Because it wasn't, you know, you really didn't see it coming at, at all. You because they they really didn't show what had happened to him, so you didn't know either way. And that was maybe one of the harsher deaths in The Walking Dead. And the number one comes from Peter Bag's Hate Comics. And that's the suicide of Stinky, the character Stinky, who is kind of a comedic character in the storyline, or at least like kind of a um, played played for laughs. He was just sort of portrayed as the the um, consummate, trendy, you know, go along with the trend of Seattle sort of thing. And uh the the episode where where he shoots himself it just happens randomly you don't know whether he did it on purpose or whether it was a you know a misfire the, a mistake or then he was goofing around and it, it just kind of leaves the reader and all the other characters hanging and uh, I remember my girlfriend at the time um, getting her hands on a copy of you know the latest issue of it and calling me up and going like oh my god can you believe it and like seriously like upset and wanting to talk about it so yeah number one stinky from hate comics we'll miss you buddy <laughs> you want to go next mike sure um i have two seemingly silly ones and, and then some actual like going all the way up to wow that really upset me uh, number five is actually a catch-all. It was all of the villains that James Robinson killed in the Batman storyline face-to-face, 
which was the one year later storyline that happened right, right towards the end of Infinite Crisis. Basically, through a storyline, he killed off all of like the 90s Batman villains, except for Bane. So, you know, like Magpie and just like all these great villains that I loved from reading that era of Batman. They just seem to kill for the sake of killing them. Like we're getting rid of all of this stuff and moving on. And I, I thought that was, it just it didn't sit well with me. Uh, number four, it's, it's very reasonable to think of him as the Boba Fett of the post-crisis Superman era. But when they killed Agent Liberty after bringing him back during the new Krypton saga, I was actually really upset. I can't tell you why I like Agent Liberty. I mean, they, they didn't really do all that much with him, and his one-shot special, as entertaining as it was, it wasn't like, wow, this, you know, maybe he could have sustained a series, but it probably wouldn't have lasted all that long, but I just he, loved his look. Yeah, he had potential, because I'll agree with you. I I, uh, I liked that character a lot at the time that they were trying to get him to catch on, and he just never really did. But he had potential, because he was, in a in a weird sort of way, he was like a strange mix between like Wolverine and Captain America cuz yeah. you know he, he essentially was Cap but he had those cool like blades that came out of um that came out of like basically like the bottom of his forearm if i remember yeah. and i yeah, thought that was really cool now visually he was a very striking character and yeah. when they when they brought him back during New Krypton i was like i got really excited cuz i'm like wow they actually brought this character back and then they almost immediately killed him off yeah. In a really lame way. And it just it just bugged the crap out of me. It really did. Um, number three, this is going to sound weird, but when Jason Todd died, it, it wasn't like I was upset for days and wouldn't leave my room. But that was a pretty big deal in 1988. I mean, it's kind of almost like a, a, like a joke now, especially mm-hmm. since they brought him back. But I'll be making a joke about it later. Um, <laughs> just seeing, you know having them kill off Robin, even though it wasn't Dick Grayson, you know, thank God it led somewhere. Like it led to an era that ultimately gave us Tim Drake, who is my favorite Robin. So I, you know, I'm kind of glad that it happened, but at the time it was just like, it made national news at a time where comics really weren't doing that. Right. I mean, sure. Crisis hit USA today, but it seemed like everyone was talking about the death of Robin. So, I mean, it seems like a gimme. It seems like uh, maybe cliched, but I'm putting it on the list anyways. Number two, uh, the reason why I said, oh, thank God, when you said Tyrese from Walking Dead, because my number two was Laurie and the Baby mm. from Walking Dead. That, that would have been my next the, choice if I had to pick one. That upset the shit out of me when I read it. Because it's not like I was surprised, because Kirkman pretty much lets you know anybody could die at any moment. You know, and there there have been some moments in The Walking Dead that have nothing to do with zombies that just upset me on such a level that I almost want to get sick. Like when right after the whole thing with the prison, when Rick and his son are attacked mm-hmm. by that group, uh, thank God they got out of that because they were about to do something really, really bad to his son. But um, when she died, it was just like that one moment where it's just like, you know what, I always knew that anybody could die at any moment. But now I'm really sure <laughs> that anybody could die at any moment because, you know, that baby being born 
was such a high mark for like it was the moment it was like a mark of hope like like you know yes we have all this death around us but now we have a home and you know we have all this and we have a you know the new child's been brought in the world and and kirkman killed hope <laughs> you know and and it it just I put the book was down. It the first I had time, st- and it wouldn't be the last either. But that one was yeah. pretty harsh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, and and he, it seems like choosing a death from The Walking Dead is like shooting fish in a barrel because <laughs> it happens yeah. so often. But rarely does it have that kind of impact that I thought that one did. And number one, and th- this is why I was glad we changed it from superheroes because I was going to put it on the list anyways. Uh, the death of Sarah Essen at the end of No Man's Land. No Man's Land is an epic story. If you ever read the whole thing all the way through, it is this amazing story of hope in hopelessness. It's intrigue. It's got a lot of pol- socio-political things going on with it. You had, you know, the Commissioner Gordon not liking Batman for the majority of it until right at the end when they finally team up. But the Joker was the one that kind of ended No Man's Land. He had been lying low for most of the story. And right there at the end, he makes his big move by kidnapping all of the newborn babies of the No Man's Land. So over a year, all of the babies that have been born, he kidnaps and puts them in, of all places, the basement of the police department. And Sarah Essen happens to go back to headquarters, and the Joker has one of the babies and uh, has a gun at the baby's head and Sarah could drop him, but she might hit the baby. So the Joker drops the baby, which of course Sarah drops her gun to grab him and the Joker shoots her in the head. And it leads to this moment where he comes out and Gordon's got his gun out and it's this really tense moment. And he's just like, no, no, it's too much. No, I got to take this guy out he killed, you know, he crippled my daughter. He killed my bride. And Batman actually goes, I won't stop you. <laughs> like, he, he realizes Gordon's got to make this decision on his own. And what Gordon does next is kind of actually surprising and not as satisfying as him killing Joker, but pretty close. But her death, when it happened, and this doesn't happen to me with comics very often, but there are moments where, like, the breath actually gets taken from you. Like, they're able to suck you into that story so hard that when they pull the trigger on something, that it it, it actually is just like, holy crap, i got to step away from this thing for a minute because yeah. I'm, I'm feeling way too much about this fictional world right now. And her yeah. death, just, it upset me. It crushed me because I liked her as a character and I liked everything that they were doing. But right there at the end, you knew something had to happen. They couldn't just, hey, no man, la- no man's land's over. <laughs> now we're all back and everything's okay. So, but yeah, that would be my number one. Cool. Well, this uh, this whole thing really spun out, I think, from last episode. Uh, you know, you were talking about that uh, JSA omnibus coming out, and uh, and I happened to mention <laughs> the way that. Uh, a character, a very minor character, a throwaway character, really called Fate, was just kind of unceremoniously done in in the very first issue of that. 
and it kind of spun into this whole subject. So mm-hmm. gotta gotta mention fate at the beginning of this, although he doesn't necessarily make my list. What's funny was when I when I read uh, Russell's email, you know, in this suggestion, immediately, you know, two of them that are on my list immediately jumped to my mind. I was like, oh, I like this because I, I immediately thought of two of them. But then I really struggled with the, the rest of the list until essentially I, I had to I had to rely on the Internet. I had to go out there and like seek out a list of like who who's dead out there, who is dead and like stayed dead, because. If it's somebody that died, but then they've resurrected them, I discounted those. So I'm going through this list, and all of a sudden it hit me that, okay, yeah, there has been a lot of comic book death over the years. And some of these, when I really poured over a a really thorough list, was like, okay, I remember that. Yeah, that pissed me off or, or whatever. So what's funny is, you know, of my five, four of them are fall into the category of they made me mad. And then my number one was the one where it was just like a, a, just a complete shock. So from five to one, here's my uh, my freaky five. So number five, a death that just really pissed me off, the Blue Beetle, Ted Cord. And I was really surprised, Mike, that this one didn't make your list because I like the issue. I like the story itself. This happened in uh, in DC Countdown to Infinite Crisis, that one-shot special just before yep. Infinite Crisis. I liked the story. It's not like it was a bad story. It's not like it was a, um, like a meaningless death or just one of those, like, let's just do it to do it kind of deaths. There's a couple of those on my list. It, it actually was meaningful. And it had great shock value, and it, and it led to other stories and everything. But what pissed me off about it was that I had waited a very long time, basically 20 years, for DC to do something with this damn character. Because I like the Blue Beetle. I always did. I always thought the Ted Cord Blue Beetle was a great character. I liked him back when he was a Charlton character, you know, and, and DC acquired the character from Charlton. So I had waited for DC to do something with him. I thought he was really good in Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths. I, I like the role that he played. And he he kind of stands tall in that series because he essentially speaks for his particular Earth. He's kind of the representative of that Earth. And then he had a series right after Crisis that didn't last very long. Started strong and then just kind of petered out and faded away. And then for the rest of the 20 years, they just never really did anything with him. And most of the time when they would use the character, he was just kind of like an ass clown in the Justice League. And I just really didn't like the way that they treated him. And I kept waiting for them to do something with him. And then when they finally do, they finally write a really great Blue Beetle story that focuses on everything that I think that that character could be and how awesome he could be it turns out to be his last story because he's just unceremoniously shot in the face. And I'm like, really? And it it just pissed me off so much. Again, not that it's a bad story, just that it, it's his last one. And, uh, and I thought that was a real shame. Uh, number four uh, was uh, in Starman, volume two, the James Robinson Starman. There was an issue number 38 where a bunch of minor characters from the justice league were all pretty much again unceremoniously done in by the mist 
and there were several of them, some of which ended up coming back almost immediately, like Blue Beetle was, was or not, I'm sorry, not Blue, Blue Beetle, Devil. Blue Devil was killed, but then he almost immediately came back in some other book. But one of the characters that was killed, and to the best of my knowledge, never came back, was Amazing Man. I always had a soft spot for him because he was the grandson of the original Amazing Man from the All-Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. And plus, I just think Amazing Man's a cool character. He was actually one of the lead characters in Extreme Justice that I talked about not long ago. I liked Extreme Justice. I thought that was a book with a lot of unfulfilled potential, but fun while I was reading it. And I liked where his character was going. And I always thought he had potential to be a really good and, and strong, potentially even a great character that sadly just it, it was just never fulfilled. And, you know, along with um, what was her name? The Fox or whatever, the, the, Crimson, the Crimson Fox and Blue Devil and one or two other characters just, you know, just done in for done in's sake, which was really a shame. Uh, number three, speaking of done in for done in's sake, this one, seriously, I, I saw red with this one. It pissed me off when I saw this in, in a series that I really don't think very highly of to begin with. Infinite Crisis. Number three, Neptune Perkins dies basically in the background of a panel bitten in half by a shark. And I'm like, Really? Now, granted, Neptune Perkins is not any great comic book character. Most people are probably like, who the hell is Neptune Perkins? But he was a member of the All-Star Squadron. He, he's a Golden Age character, and he was a member of the Young All-Stars, which I have a great fondness for the Young All-Stars. I liked Neptune Perkins, and I like his origin story. It was all tied into Captain Nemo and the Titanic and all this stuff. And I just, I had a fondness for the guy. Not a great comic book character, but a fun comic book character. And he was just, the the way he met his end was just... He went he out like so a punk. Better. It was, it was yeah, so... Yeah, exactly, yeah. It was yeah. so infuriating because it just seemed like we're just going to kill this character because we're going to kill somebody here and we're just going to pick Neptune Perkins' name out of a hat and he's going to mm-hmm. be the one to go. So yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. By the that way, that was supposed to be the Earth 2... Aquaman's origin. Really? Yes, that was the the story that they uh, uh, eventually did in Young All Stars was originally by Thomas and oh God, I can never pronounce his name. Mark Lofficer or God, I can't. Oh man. Oh, I, I know who you mean. They had uh, they had come up with a whole uh, secret origins issue with the origin of the Earth Two Aquaman, and that was all going to be in there. And then the the idea of doing an Earth Two Aquaman origin was just scrapped completely. So they just retrofitted into Neptune Perkins. Huh. I did not know that. It would have been a good a uh, good origin for Aquaman. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's a neat idea. Um, number two. This was another one that seriously pissed me off at the time that it happened. Skyman in Infinity Inc. number 51. Now, again, a character that most people are probably like, who the hell is Skyman? Skyman is the latter-day identity of the, one, of the character that used to be called the Star-Spangled Kid. And he eventually decided that, okay, I'm a grown man. And by this point, I think, even though he had... He'd experienced something with, like, I don't know, like a time warp or something that, like, retarded his aging process or something. But still, 
by this point in his life, it was, you know, he was much too old to be still calling himself a kid. So he eventually decided to grow up and he ditched the mask and retooled his outfit. And I thought he had a great look. I thought he had one of the best costumes in comics because he looked like a cross between like Evil Knievel and that dude from uh, from Freedom Force. He just he had a really great costume. <laughs> you, you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. For, or was it the Force, from the of, Force July. of July? Force of yeah. July. That was it. Yeah, Force of July. And uh, and I thought he had a really great outfit, but you know he had all the same powers he'd always had. So he was kind of like a weird cross between, you know, power wise, he was like a weird cross between like, like Superman and Starman kind of thing. But, you know, no longer using, you know, a staff or a gravity rod or a gravity belt. It was all incorporated into the suit. And I really liked that. I thought he had a great look. And um, I'm trying to remember who was doing the art at the time, but whoever was was drawing him at the time just made him look really, really cool. And he was, he quickly became one of my favorite characters. And then in, uh, infinity Inc number 51, there something happened. It was some sort of tussle or something. And he got accidentally knocked into Mr. Bones and Mr. Bones. His whole deal was, is that he looks like he's just a skeleton, but he actually, he's, he's actually a man with see-through skin that his uh, his touch is poison. It exudes like what was it, cyanide or something. So he accidentally brushes up against Mister Bones, and that's it. He's dead. <laughs> it's like, you know, seriously, like the most. Yeah, it was really like random. Out of yeah, random, just completely out of left field, like ignominious death you could ever imagine like that's it he, he he bumped up against this guy and now he's dead really that that's it and man what a dis I, I kept thinking that you know as much as i really don't like comic book resurrections it's it's become such a uh, an overused cliche that's one i would forgive because he was a great character that kind of felt like he was going somewhere and then just bumped off and I, you know, I, I kicked myself that I, you know I've actually met Roy Thomas and, and got to speak with him very briefly. And I wish I'd, I'd had the wits about me to ask him. By the way, what what the hell was the deal with Skyman, dude? He, he, you know, he had a great character here. Why why did you just bump him off like that? But I don't know if I ever have the pleasure again. I'm definitely going to have to hit him up with that because yeah, I love that character. I, I couldn't believe he did him in like that. Lastly, my number one, um, this was not one that, uh, that made me mad or anything. This is one that just, uh, has stuck with me all my comic reading life because, uh, I remember reading this when I was a kid and even though I'm pretty darn sure that I read it well after, you know, it, it I'm, I'm sure I read it as a back issue, you know, well after it, it, it had been out, I didn't read it like new off the stand or anything. I still had no idea what was coming. So for me, it was all a, a brand new story, and the end of it just hit me like a punch in the gut. And that was Adventure Comics number 452, The Death of Arthur Jr. And to this day, shocks me that a story written, I'm not sure exactly what year that was, but it's in the 70s, that that they did it, that they pulled the trigger on this story, and they really did Because essentially, here's the story, is uh, Black Manta you know, one of the the mortal enemies of Aquaman, uh, 
kidnaps Arthur Jr., Aqua Baby. He's he's Aquaman's son. And Aqua Baby, for whatever reason, couldn't breathe air like Aquaman can. He was strictly a creature of the sea. And so Black Manta puts him in this air bubble. And, you know, it's like a like a plastic type of thing, like a like a gerbil ball, essentially. And he's keeping him hostage inside this ball in order to make Aquaman and Aqualad fight each other to the death in this death arena. And, you know, they don't want to do it, but Aquaman realizes that his son's life is literally at stake in this game. And so he's playing for keeps and Aqualad doesn't realize this at first until he realizes that, you know, Arthur Jr. means more to him, to Aquaman than, you know, than he does, than Aqualad does. And then it becomes a real fight between the two of them. All of this illustrated by uh, Jim Aparo. And it's just, I mean, great comics. It's it's just a really well-drawn book. Story's fantastic. It's uh, David Michelinie uh, that writes it. And the really sad thing of it is, is they have this epic battle and everything, and they're really going at each other. And then when it gets down to the wire and Aquaman knows that he's running out of time... Uh, he and Aqualad are fighting with tridents. Well, Aquaman rears back and he throws his trident. And instead of throwing it at Aqualad, he actually overshoots, hits the the bubble that Aqua Baby is being kept in and shatters it. And then he and, and Aqualad attack Black Manta. And they have their little fight and everything. But at the end of the issue, Mira, Aquaman's wife, comes walking up, cradling Arthur Jr. in her hands and even though Aquaman had outsmarted his enemy and he shattered the bubble and everything, it was too late anyway. It didn't make any difference. The baby still died. And it was just like, wow. I mean, I mean, really hit me hard that, that they'd killed this character. And worse yet, that it was just an innocent child. I mean, because Aqua Baby, he was kind of a misnomer by that point because he was more like Aqua Toddler because he was, he was probably like Franklin, you know, Franklin Richards' age. He's probably like five, six years old. But still, just an innocent little child, you know, used as a pawn in this battle and then suffocated to death. You know, one of the worst ways to die. And that's how they did him in in that story. And... They didn't ever back off from it. You know, they that stayed in continuity all those years because there was a great uh, Peter David story many years later as part of the ghost crossover event where the ghost of Arthur Jr. comes back to haunt Aquaman. And that was a really, really powerful story there, too, where Aquaman realizes he'd never really fully dealt with the grief of losing his son. It had changed him as a character, and he realized that it had changed him but he'd never really come to terms with the grieving process of losing his son and uh, just really, really good stuff. But like I say, that story has just always stuck with me because it it was just when I was really just getting into comics as a kid. And, uh, and I never forgot that. And every once in a while, I'll still pull that issue out and reread it. And it it hasn't lost its punch. Still a really powerful one. Um, I've gone on a whole long time, but I want to just throw out three quick honorable mentions that almost made my list. Um, Thunderstrike, laugh if you like. I liked Thunderstrike, and I was really disappointed that they killed him off. Didn't make my list because while his death kind of ticked me off, at the same rate, I don't think I was reading the book anymore when it actually happened. I think I read it later on as a back issue and was just like, so I knew it was coming, 
And I'd already come to terms with the fact that, well, you know, his, he wasn't doing that well, so they decided to kill him off. But still, it was a shame because I thought he was a character with a lot of potential. Um, the question, for a lot of the same reasons as uh, the Ted Cord Blue Beetle, I don't understand why DC acquired these characters if they weren't ever going to do anything with them. And granted, the question had a great run at one time, but then they never really did anything with him again. And then he ends up dying of freaking cancer in 52 i mean what a shitty death actually then, it wasn't hmm? it wasn't it was a brilliant it was a great story it made the me questions cry. the death of the question was a great story i i did not like the fact that they did it but i liked the emotion that they put into it hmm i don't know if, <laughs> i don't know if i could agree with you on that one dude i was very upset with that story because I, I like never read it, so I don't have to get involved in this at all. <laughs> and lastly, uh, again, almost made my list, but it's it's very similar to my feelings about Neptune Perkins, um, the death of the human bomb in Infinite Crisis number one. Now, the death scene itself is actually pretty cool, but it's just the fact of again, why why do you have to do this? You know, why do you have to take a classic character? And take them off the table, you know, just for shock value or whatever. But at least he, he had a, a slightly more um, interesting death, I guess you could say, than Neptune Perkins, who just, you know, ah, he's dead. At least the human bombs was, you know, it was done, um, I don't know, I want to say spectacularly, but it wasn't really even spectacular. It was just very interesting the way that they decided to do him in. In the audio drama, it actually comes out as a, as somewhat of a of a spectacular sequence. I think. Uh, speaking of audio dramas, have you um, have you listened to the fifty two audio drama? I think I did. Okay. I think I did. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe I haven't heard that. I know I've listened to Infinite Crisis because I actually liked that one a whole hell of a lot better than I liked the actual series itself. <laughs> reason why i ask is that the question story was one of the big things of that drama and i think that's one of the reasons why i i, I am so emotionally involved in that story because of uh, how how they adapted it see i thought so, i had but now that you say that now you've got me second guessing myself maybe i do have to give it a listen to well that's my that's my entire thought process is i just want to make you doubt yourself because <laughs> so, i'm not see, I considered myself a huge fan of the question, and I just it, it, it was a, it was a one-two punch of for one that they were killing him at all, but then I, I just I didn't like the you know just that kind of like quietly resolving you know to just see, pass away you know not fighting he, for anything and just deciding see, to just go to Nanda Parbat and expire. But he did. Here's the that's the thing is that he fought pretty much right to the end, and the only reason he went to, back to Nanda Parbat is that Rene Montoya brought him there. Right. And Rucka was the main guy behind that, and I, I you know, I, I doubt there's anybody out there that worships the Denny O'Neill Question City as series as much as Greg Rucka does, and and he really tied everything about that death into that Denny O'Neill series and mm -hmm. basically hinted at the fact that what really ultimately gave him cancer wasn't smoking, but it was the chemicals that 
were used in the process of putting that mask on and that he kind of damned ended up damning Renee Montoya to his fate. So there was just a lot going on into that story that uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, just listening to interviews and stuff, I'm more emotionally involved than I should be, but I'm strange like that. Well, 52 is one of those series that, you know, I, I've only ever read it once and really detested it. So maybe one of these days, if I could ever stomach a reread maybe maybe it deserves a, a second a second look but how can you hate that story yeah i just so i i really awesome. did not like it at all but plus you know and again I, this is probably just going to make you mad so maybe we need to move on but see i the the, <laughs> the you know i said it was a one-two punch the other half of that was renee montoya becoming the new question i i thought that was just i see, really didn't like that my main problem with that was really that ultimately they didn't do anything with it. Right. You know, like she appeared here and there, but they made this huge push to put her into this, in, into that identity and then used her like two or three times after that. I mean, she had a backup story in Manhunter. <coughs> and she was part of the final crisis, but that was pretty much it. I didn't understand the, the, the need or the desire to want to take these characters from what was that series? Gotham Knights. Is that the name Gotham of it? Central Gotham Central? Thank you to take the characters from that and want to take all the ones that, that people had latched onto and make superheroes out of them. I thought the entire point of that book was that these were the straights. These were the normal people of Gotham city and Batman, that's why Batman hardly ever appeared in that book is because it was supposed to be giving you the gritty, real-world, cop-on-the-beat feel of Gotham City. And then they take the breakout characters and make superheroes out of them. I'm like, what? what? Why the hell would you do that? So I, I just, I didn't get I, it. I think the answer to that question is obvious, Scott, but that is to piss you off. <laughs> well, so. it worked. I mean, See, not... I, not you know, I didn't have any great attachment to, to Gotham Central. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I ever even finished. I mean, I started reading it one time, and I, I thought it was a very interesting book. It just, it just wasn't able to hold my attention. But I don't know. It, it was very strange because it was at that same time where they were. It, it wasn't like if they had just done this with like one or two of the Charlton characters, maybe I wouldn't have even noticed or cared. But it seemed like they did them all right about the same time because they did the Blue Beetle and then they did the Question and then they did Judo Master. And so essentially, eventually, all of the characters that they had acquired from Charlton became other characters. And I don't know if that was a rights thing or or what happened there, but because I, I, I really noticed it later on with uh, the JSA title when characters started to be incorporated into that, I was like, damn, none of these Charlton people are the same identity as the, what they were when they came over from Charlton. They, they had all changed. So I, I can only guess that it had something to do with rights. But I don't know. I mean, have you ever heard anything about that? I, I think it's ultimately, and I forget who I was, who I heard this from. So I, I do apologize uh, because when I heard it, 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 it actually made a lot of it, it made a lot of sense to me. 
is that DC acquired all of these properties that kind of worked on their own, but then they had to be retrofitted into the DC universe. And so you, you have Captain Marvel, who, who had an entire universe of characters on his own, mm-hmm. with all the other characters and stuff being you know, published by Fawcett, but now we've got to figure out a way for him to work in the DC universe alongside Superman. Now, personally, I don't have a problem with that because I think the universe is big enough for that. But apparently on a more general level, you know, having all of these characters come in and basically having to work them into the, the narrative, I I think it just kind of stymied DC on a creative level. I mean, it, it, on one hand it makes sense and on the other hand it doesn't make any sense at all because like you I loved the Blue Beetle series and it did fade out and I think most of that had to do with the fact that they had a subplot that started in issue 1 and didn't get paid off until issue 16 now that happens all the time today but it really doesn't happen it didn't really happen as much back then and you know, they tried Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. I think he had like a 12-issue series. I have it. I've never read it. You know, and going even with the quality characters, they, they did a Ray series, which was actually very good up until the end. And then they had Black Condor, which always looked kind of interesting, but I but I have yet to read. So it seems like, for some odd reason, they would always try to bring these characters back, and they just never caught on. So eventually at what point do you say, well, maybe we just need to try something completely different with it? So you have Jaime Reyes becoming the Blue Beetle. And that, to be fair, that title lasted 36 issues. Now, part of you might be saying, so what, 36 issues? It lasted 36 issues after after Infinite Crisis, which I think on a sliding scale is like lasting 150 issues back in the 70s. Right. With the way they were canceling books. You know, so... I think, in all honesty, what happened is that DC got it in its head that it needs to have a more diverse group of superheroes. And to do that, you make the question a woman, and you make Blue Beetle a Hispanic kid, and you make the Adam an Asian uh, student named, you know, uh, Choi, I think his last name was. Mm -hmm. And ultimately... They all failed, not because they were bad, but because either it couldn't find an audience or they didn't do anything with it. So, on one hand, it sucks that they had all these great characters that could never find an audience. On the other hand, it sucks that they tried to do something different with those characters and it couldn't find an audience. Which, at which point, you have to ask yourself, is it the concept? I mean, I can love something all day long. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a best-selling book. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but sure. Well, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) I think we got just enough time for everybody's favorite part of the show. It's me. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero (laughs) comic. Comic. This time on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, I am going to read Doom Patrol, Volume 1, Number 121, Where They All Die. There will be a couple spoilers in my report, by the way. 
The comic starts out with the writer and artist of Doom Patrol getting all meta and saying, you kids need to buy more comics or Doom Patrol's going to bite it. So you decide. We can all ask Robin how that works out. (laughs) There's my joke. Then we see Madame Rouge bombing the house of Gorilla Man and Brain and Sailing Solution. She is wiping out her competition in wiping out Doom Patrol. She is an old girlfriend of the chief and wants revenge. She tries a drive-by shooting, but Metal Guy blocks him and grabs the bullets, one of which is a secret bomb that they narrowly escape by covering it with a couch cushion. (laughs) Meanwhile, Elastic Girl (laughs) leaves her billionaire boyfriend to help the Doom Patrol. Then Madame Rouge tries to napalm them, and they shoot down the helicopters with their missiles in the roof of their house, making a little bit of a mess of the whole city. So the government politely asks them to please stop wrecking the city, and so the chief takes him to his secret island base to plan their capture of Madame, Madame Bitter ex-girlfriend. But she is on to the secret island and uses Captain Zal, a Nazi with an iron whiplash neck brace, to attack them. And then he gives them two choices. Either you blow up on the island or, we have, or a dozen or so main fishermen blow up. Zan thinks they will save their own necks. Get it? Necks? But they decide to blow up, which Zan is more than happy to do. The ex-girlfriend is pissed because she just wanted to humiliate them. The fishermen are so happy they name their town after them, and the billionaire boyfriend vows revenge. Then the writer and artist come back and say, Only you can save the Doom Patrol. And then they keep calling me Charlie, but my name is not Charlie. It's Chris. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Well done, sir. Well done. I'm not Charlie. I'm not. Isn't that a line from Flowers from Algernon? <laughs> you know, I have read a lot about this story over the years, <laughs> and I have never read the story itself until today. And oh, uh, Scott, I think you and I are in complete agreement on this. Yeah. I, you know, it was a mixed bag. It was a very mixed bag. Because uh, I had built it up in my mind to be a very different creature from what it actually turned out to be. But uh, I can't, you know, w- w- and I have no evidence to, to for any of this. This is just my own personal supposition from having just read this issue and having it fresh in my mind. But I'm thinking that somebody at D.C., was looking at what Marvel was doing and really trying like hell to imitate certain beats. Because this, to me, is um, essentially it's Professor X leading the Fantastic Four is what it really feels like to me. Well, here's the funny thing. I've been doing a little reading. Yeah. Because I got the hardcover of the first volume of the collected Doom Patrol archive or whatever, from Kelly Logue once again, whose name just is going to keep coming up and coming up, and especially with me with comics. And I noticed that he also had the Grant Morrison run of, you know, whatever, you know, modern version of it. And I was like, you know, 
I've heard everybody like, oh, Grant Morrison's awesome. Oh, Grant Morrison's the Antichrist. I'm going to read some. <laughs> but I wanted to read, because when I first looked at that Doom Patrol comic, I thought it was a modern comic just done in tribute to the old style of comics and kind of exaggerated because of the way they recolored it, made it look more modern. The art popped out as, like, it It, it actually improved the art, which usually it doesn't over newsprint. So... So I've been reading that. I just finished it the other day, actually. And uh, I've been enjoying the hell out of it, but it, it's silly. But I guess it came out before the X-Men. It beat the X-Men out. And uh, it just didn't last as long. And I remember looking at it and going, this is a very marvely feeling comic, you know. The, the heroes are kind of angsty, you know. Why do they keep calling us freaks type thing, you know. We're just a bunch of freaks. He'll never expect us. I use that One word a lot, so that always... One of us. Yeah. <laughs> so so I really enjoyed it, but then I found out, I heard the story about this, this issue, and I thought, I want to read this issue before I read the Grant Morrison one, because I hear, you know, in that one, they've brought characters back from this, so, you know, I want to get, I want to sort of hit all the main story beats of it, you know, so I, I at least know what's going on. But I enjoyed the hell out of the, the I don't know how many, it was probably like the first nine or ten comics maybe. Maybe not even that many, you know. And uh, this is pretty much, like I was very surprised when I read this, that the writing style had not changed that much. You know, it hadn't de developed more. I thought, like, okay, as this goes on and they get into the higher numbers, they're going to have to have more developed stories and stuff. But I think Doom Patrol was definitely aimed at a at a younger age. I think that's what maybe differentiated it from Marvel, was Marvel was going more for teens, and this might have been more pre-teens and little kids maybe. I don't know. They just always seem to keep the characters and the stories real simple, you know. But uh, I also, their little decision reminded me uh, in a much more entertaining way of uh, the Dark Knight movie with the prisoners on the ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll see that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. For me, ultimately, this is a story that I rather would have preferred to read about than actually read. Because when <laughs> when when Wolfman and Perez bring the Doom Patrol into New Teen Titans, it's this epic thing. It's just like they sacrifice themselves, right? They, they, and it's just like wow, what great! And you read about it in Who's Who, and you're like wow. And then I read this issue and went, wow, that uh, huh. That just yeah. happened, didn't it? That's kind of <laughs> cheesy. It, it has yeah. it has a real end run feel to it. It feels like they're like, let's wipe out a lot of people. You know, I mean, in those early episodes, they introduced that talking gorilla and the brain and the saline solution. And it, you, if you guys know me at all, you know if there's two things that I love, it's a brain and saline solution and a talking gorilla. They end so, up hooking up. And, yeah. Now, and, is and this, this Major Mala? Yeah. And in this, how the hell did they survive this? They didn't. They said they were confirmed dead 
uh, they show him blown into the air, and then like the police are talking next, and they're like they're they're absolutely confirmed dead from the explosion, and you see the brains like unhooked from his yeah machine and his saline solution that's spilling. That's what threw me in this because, well, for one thing, I mean, my I, I remember when um when the Doom Patrol kind of remade the scene with the new Teen Titans, that's where they kind of regained some popularity and got back into the public conscious consciousness. But I liked the fact that I had kind of the leg up on my friends when this happened because they briefly came back in showcase comics back in the the late seventies. And I had, uh, I think there was three issues of that. I had two of the three, and uh, the art was by Joe Staten. And it just really grabbed me because Robot Man turned out, I'm pretty sure he was the same Robot Man, but they just yes. gave him a new body. So at that time, he was the only survivor of the team. And then um, I think it was right after the crisis, they got a new series as well. And I started off reading that, and that's the one where eventually, because the sales weren't doing all that great and everything, they let Grant Morrison take over, and then he ran the direction he did. I never read any of that stuff. I had bailed long before um, Morrison came along. But I always had kind of a soft spot for the, you know, for the team, for the Doom Patrol and everything, but the problem was is that over time, they kept finding survivors to a point where, if I'm not mistaken, the only one that ever really died in this issue was Elastigirl. I don't think she ever did come back. Until but... right after the crisis. <laughs> oh, crisis. really? Right after Infinite Crisis, they all came back. Oh, Jesus. They all come back. But I mean, I, you know, at first, when, when they came back in showcase, it was just Robot Man, and then I don't know if they ever came right out and said or if it was just heavily inferred that negative woman was possessed by the same negative energy that that had created negative man and that's as far as they went at first and then like i say later on um they uh you know they came back they had their own series after the crisis and then the chief came back and i can't remember did negative man ever come back he did come back i believe he did yeah he came back and uh, and by that point, they also had new characters because, you know, the ones that were in Showcase was essentially it was a new Doom Patrol because they had Robot Man, but then everybody else was new. They had Negative Woman. They had um, Celsius, Celsius. They had Tempest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I thought they were actually really cool characters and they incorporated them in f- for a while into the post-crisis team. But I don't know what ever happened to the you know, to the latter day care, you know, the new doom patrol characters. I don't know if they died or got written out of the series or what, but they were interesting. And I always kind of thought, uh, Steve Dayton was kind of cool too, because he ended up becoming, um, what's his name? Beast boys. What was he like? His foster father or guardian or something. Yeah. Or or, or, or as I like to call him, the guy that was just constantly being a jackass to guard. Right. Yeah. Well, well, he well he was a superhero too. He's uh, what was his name? Mento. Yes. Yeah. He became a superhero to impress his girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> don't they all? Now, is this Nazi captain in this? Is he the same guy that they later call him like General Zal or something like that? Is that Are you talking same? about General Amortis? 
No. Maybe I'm confusing the two. Yeah, yeah, General Immortus was like their first. He, he was like their Lex Luthor, you know, Doctor right. Doom. He was. Yeah, he was the one that crippled the chief. Right, right. He he was wow. part of the chief's origin story. He's like right. an immortal bad guy that only had 200 years worth of his immortal <sighs> potion left and wanted the chief to the, to hook him up. Chris, if you like the Doom Patrol, I would advise tracking down the Who's Who issues with all the characters in it, because in the original Who's Who series, all of the Doom Patrol entries, and everyone got one, were drawn by John Byrne. Oh, neat. Well, Byrne did a... Secret Origins Annual Secret number Origins. one. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Secret Origins Annual was a Doom Patrol story all by Byrne. And that was really I good. I could that see like... Byrne being really into this the, the Doom oh, Patrol. he loved these characters. Yeah, I could he totally see him being into it. Yeah, yeah it was right up his alley. If you're going to check out any Burn Doom Patrol, check that one out, because then he ended up doing them again, um, uh, what was it, about ten years or so ago, and I never read any of it, but it just awful. looking at the art, it doesn't look like it's... It I may like have the first during one that of those. slump period, you know? Where yeah, he just that, that, wasn't on his A-game anymore. He and Chris Claremont did a, like, six-issue JLA storyline, and they touted it as Chris Claremont and John Byrne getting together to do the Justice League, and it all turned out to be a backdoor pilot for this new Doom Patrol book that didn't have jack-all to do with any other previous version of Doom Patrol, but it was a brand-new Doom Patrol that appeared for the first time ever. How the hell did that work? I, I think the fact that it lasted like 12 issues... I was going to say, it doesn't sound like it did work. Pretty much, uh, yeah. So I think that's why I ignored it, because somehow or other, I, I think I heard that ahead of time before it even hit, that it was... Um, I don't know what you would what you would even call that. Not a reboot. It was more like a reimagining or whatever. You know, like a, a completely different take or so, whatever the hell. However they touted it, clued me in that just like you said, it was it was not going to be related to anything we'd ever seen before. And so I was like, eh, not really interested. And you know, I I, I love Burn, but that was in that period where he was just. Ooh, he was not doing some quality stuff. I mean, he had uh, like Blood of the Demon and Lab Rats and just a just a string of <laughs> really fires. not good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think this one. I think the big failing of this one is I think they really thought they were. I think they had a plan to bring him back. <laughs> Right, and they just never got to implement it. You know, they they were like, "All right, this should spur the sales." No, it didn't. I heard sales were actually pretty decent, but they weren't huge like they used to be. So that was why they were cutting it. And then I, it, it looked like because when we were talking about this, you're like, there, it actually goes up to 124, but I think they just printed three reprints. Well, see, of I was one of the issues. See, I may be wrong about that too because well, I, do I downloaded them to check because I was like I don't want to see if I missed out on something but they're all stories from that first volume that I read right like them versus the animal vegetable mineral man so uh, whatever I was looking at I think it said it went to oh you're right it does go to 120 yeah you're right those are reprints okay yeah I just wanted to double check because I thought maybe whatever I was looking at was just plain wrong nope but yeah Three three more issues that <laughs> that were reprints. That's bizarre. 
if you're going to print three more issues, then why, why not do more original? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay, here you go. All right, so this issue was July of 68, 121. 122 is the day after Christmas, 1972. Oh. So they were just throwing out some stock they stuff. They were just, just throwing out yeah. some stuff to try to sell, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. the cover of this comic. Yeah, I actually... Great Orlando. See, it, it's funny that, you know, you're... I forget how you just said it, but something about you know the failure of it. I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's just not what I thought it was going to be, because that that was the thing with with. It, it was okay, but I think it was just like it was rushed. I think they thought we have to end this, and they just did it in the sort of like, okay, we're just going to destroy everything, you know. Well, I mean, I've noticed that this happens with anything that's that's like an index. Or uh, a remastering of a of a classic, you know, whether it's Who's Who or Ohatmu or Marvel Saga or anything like that, you know, or even those those big index books that have been coming out, you know, every few years. Sometimes there's a tendency the way the writers tell the story in prose, right, that makes it sound a lot more interesting and a lot more credible and just, you know, better. And then, you know, you think, wow, that story sounds really, really cool. And, you know, the villain's exciting and the danger's exciting. And, wow, this must be a great story. And so you'll go and you'll seek out that issue to read that story. And then you'll find, oh, my God, this this character can't even dress himself. He looks ridiculous. And, you know, and, and, and you know, it's idiotic and it's, it's written for five-year-olds. And you know that's not quite the case here. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's definitely juvenile. You know? Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I didn't but, really enjoy it at all, which is the sad part. I, I mean, I tried. It's just the artwork bothered me on such a level that it's just like I kind of like the I, artwork. I, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say you would, but that seems more there's like a retro an charm to it. You know. Retro charm. Yeah, know, it's it actually. Kinda... Yeah, it's it's referring back a few years more than 1968. You know, so it's I don't just, know. I gotta side with Chris a little bit here because I think page seven gave me a strong um, Kirby on the FF vibe. You know, the page where where uh, Dayton and uh, Elastigirl are having their little squabble. Um, I really liked. I mean, I don't like the art through and through i think robot man who is arguably the coolest member of the team i think he looks a little silly yeah see and that that was my problem is that like one or two good image couldn't save it and that that last image of them all looking at the camera going kill us kill us (laughs) it was just like this is the story i've heard so much about and i think it, it you know you were you were you were touching on this but i think it's it's really it's really the case for me that most of the time I really need to just stick with the version of the story that's in my head from reading about right. it in Uzu than actually tracking it down. Because there's always like this complete complete and utter disappointment. It's like early issues of the Justice League sound really cool, but then you have mm-hmm. to dig through that Mike Sikowski art. And it's not that he's a terrible artist because like his Wonder Woman stuff was actually really good. 
Yeah, uh, Superman's a fat ass in those yeah. stories, though. No, I'm talking like his run on Wonder Woman uh, when Denny O'Neill took it over for a little while, too. Right. But Sikowski was the one that was writing it initially, and it's really good artwork. But then you look at that, like some of that old Justice League stuff, and it's like blocks of wood running around. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know what? The, the, we talked about it a lot on Tales. I like the idea of DC's Golden Age far more than I like going back right. and reading DC's right. Golden Age. Like, I liked Roy Thomas's take on the Golden Age because the artwork was contemporary enough for me at the time that it felt like, oh, this is cool. You know, you got Ordway, you got Buckler, you got, uh, not Hooper. What was that guy's name? Yeah, I know who you mean. I, I can't think of him either. I, I know who you're Mr. talking Hooper? about. Mr. Hooper? Yeah, uh, I, for, I forget. Uh, it was the guy that came on later in the All-Star Squadron run. Right. And uh, and it's just like, I, I, I like this because it's it's told in a contemporary tone, but it's playing with these really cool old characters. And that is not to say that I can't go back and read Golden Age stories and not enjoy them, because I read the first Golden Age Green Lantern uh, archives book, and that was a joy to read. Those were some really good stories. But then you re- read, like, when we went through All-Star number three and, and how everything ended up being, like, insurance fraud. And there was just, like, the goofy, like, like in the middle of it, Sandman's fighting a giant rat for absolutely no reason. It's just like, you know, I really just want to read about this. I don't I don't, I don't need to go back and, and, and experience this firsthand. And that's... You know, I'm, I'm not trying to take away from what you guys liked about it. I'm not trying to tell you that you have to dislike it. It's just for me on a personal level, I was just like, wow, that was a really huge disappointment. I'm the I'm the negative Nancy this month. No, negative man. <laughs> I, I, I am Larry Trainer. <laughs> if you had the superpower to grow to enormous height, and you were a woman, would you want to be doing that in a miniskirt? I thought about that. There's got to be a lot of pictures floating around in that universe. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I, I think the better question is, what would a 50-foot vagina look like up close? Mm-hmm. That is a question. And I also think it's rather unfortunate that they keep referring to the, themselves as the DP. And it's, <laughs> it's taken on a new me- meaning these days, you know. At least they're not oh, like the OPP. Man. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> I have often wondered if Pixar had to pay any money or, or jump through any legal hoops or anything to use the name Elastigirl in The Incredibles. Um, you know, for the fact that the Karate Kid movies had to have a copyright DC Comics thing right. at the end of all of their things i'm surprised maybe it's because elastigirl karate kid was a title right like there was a book called karate kid and right said, she was just a character so right. she was just a character in the book it's just like it's it's why marvel doesn't or dc can't sue each other over each having a character character named scarecrow mm, mm-hmm. right so i you know and and, and frankly the, the incredibles was better so I don't even feel bad saying that. The Incredibles was a brilliant. Oh film. no argument! Best, no argument. One of the best superhero films ever made. Like Absolutely. distilled everything awesome yeah. about superhero films, 
while deconstructing them and yet re giving them a, a rejuvenation. It was an interesting while celebrating the, the yeah, it, it wasn't like as... Watchmen, which was all about burning down the house. Right. So. This Elastigirl has got some strange boobs, too. I've noticed. Through... They're, they're <laughs> pointy to the point of being unnatural. Well, yes. Were all boobs pointy in the 50s and 60s? Not I mean, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are strange. He, like pyramids. I don't know who that artist is, but he's no uh, he's no Carmen Infantino, that's for sure. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook, just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, two True Freaks. Freaks.